to history overlooked. I have decided to do a show about something that has interested me for a long time, something that I'm not sure many people know about, unless you're a history buff. So, eight people, eight people have died in the office of President of the United States while serving as such. And for the next two shows, I'm going to go through chronologically those eight presidents and their deaths. Some of them, of course, you know. You know JFK, you know Lincoln, you probably know Roosevelt. But there have been eight. So we're going to start off with the very first one, William Henry Harrison. But first, a quote by Marcus Garvey, who is a civil rights activist. He says, quote, A people without the knowledge of their past history, origin, and culture is like a tree without roots. William Henry Harrison was born on February 9th, 1773, near Richmond, Virginia, on his family's plantation. His brother served as governor of Virginia and even signed the Declaration of Independence. Harrison studied medicine at the University of Pennsylvania, but dropped out to join the army in 1791. He fought in multiple battles against Native Americans, such as Battle of Fallen Timbers in 1794, which was won by the United States and opened present-day Ohio up to white settlement. William Henry Harrison had 10 children, but six died before he became president. One of his sons, John Scott Harrison, became a U.S. congressman from Ohio and was the father of Benjamin Harrison, the 23rd American president. William Henry Harrison was considered a war hero for fighting Native American forces at the Battle of Tippecanoe in 1811. He was governor of the Indiana Territory from 1800 to 1812 and tried to open American Indian lands to white settlers. He negotiated treaties that forced indigenous tribes to give the United States millions of acres of land. Not all indigenous people were happy with the treaties, so Harrison used United States forces to remove them from treaty lands to secure them for white settlement. Alas, presidents are far from perfect. William Henry Harrison was the first congressional delegate from the Northwest Territory, which includes present-day, the present-day Midwest, but not Iowa. He served in the U.S. House from 1816 to 1819 and the Senate from 1825 to 1828. He ran for president in 1836 as a Whig Party candidate but lost to Martin Van Buren and then ran again in 1840 when he was then in his late 60s. He was mocked for being old and was 68 when he was inaugurated. You might have heard his slogan that he ran on, which was Tippecanoe and Tyler, too. And 
that was chosen because of his battle at Tippecanoe and because John Tyler was his running mate. So, after all that background, William Henry Harrison gets elected in 1840. He's inaugurated in 1841. March 4th, 1841 to be exact. He was told to wear a coat and hat and gloves as it was estimated to be around 48.5 degrees Fahrenheit, but he didn't want to. And this is where we get into the story that you've probably heard before. People believe he contracted pneumonia from not wearing a coat at his inaugural address. This is what I heard as a kid. There, there was a president who died because he was out in the cold, because he gave his inaugural address and it was freezing and he didn't want to wear a coat. And he did develop a cold three weeks after the event. He contracted pneumonia and he died on April 4th, 1841. So pneumonia is an infection. There are air sacs in the lungs, and pneumonia causes one or both of them to inflame. They might fill with fluid or pus, and this can be caused by bacteria, viruses, fungi, etc. It's more serious for people over 65, and William Henry Harrison was 68, and its causes are from bacteria resulting from a cold or a flu, Bacteria-like organisms, fungi from soil, or bird droppings that is most common in people with health problems, or weakened immune systems. Also viruses, some of the same that cause colds and flu. But, can you actually get pneumonia from the cold? Not really. In the winter, the air is drier and more polluted because of wood burning as heat. So, people with asthma and lung diseases are more susceptible to pneumonia. Viruses also survive longer in low humidity, which it is in the winter, which increases chances of contracting pneumonia, but does not cause it. So, William Henry Harrison, the first president to die in office, died in 1841 from pneumonia exactly one month after being inaugurated, but he didn't contract the pneumonia from not wearing a coat. He didn't wear a coat, but that's not how he contracted pneumonia. All right, Zachary Taylor. Reports of his death are inconsistent and involve a little drama. It's perhaps the most dramatic of all the presidential deaths, but I'll let you judge that for yourself. Zachary Taylor was born on November 24th, 1784. He grew up in Louisville, Kentucky, with seven brothers and sisters. His family owned 10,000 acres in Kentucky and 26 slaves. He fought in wars against Native Americans, similar to William Henry Harrison, but wanted to protect their lands from white settlers. He believed strongly 
He believed that a strong military presence was the solution to a peaceful coexistence. Taylor was also a Mexican war hero and adamantly opposed the expansion of slavery into areas where neither cotton nor sugar could be grown. So where slavery wouldn't produce enough profit for the United States. He vowed to personally lead a military attack against any state that threatened to secede from the Union and oppose secession as a solvent for problems. This was all before the Civil War, as Zachary Taylor was the 12th president and Lincoln, known for emancipating slavery, was the 16th. Taylor was a member of the Whig Party, but identified more as an independent or a nationalist, and he was very popular among the entire country, the North because of his military record and the South because of owning slaves. He was elected as the 12th president in 1848 and inaugurated in 1849. 16 months later, summer is in its peak. Outbreaks often occurred in the summer in Washington because of bad sewage systems. So on the 4th of July, Taylor went to some festivities and had, quote, a large quantity of cherries and iced milk. Then he went to the White House and had several glasses of water. After experiencing cramping, diarrhea, nausea, and dehydration, his body began rejecting fluids. Five days later, he calls his wife to his bedside and says, quote, I have always done my duty. I am ready to die. My only regret is for the friends I leave behind me. Later that day, he died on July 9th of 1850. 100,000 people went along the funeral route to see the presidential hearse. The actual death, cause of death, is disputed by historians. So, personal physicians say that Taylor died from cholera morbus, which is deadly and caused by bacteria. They believed the bacteria were in the water or the milk. But some people believe Taylor got gastroenteritis, which is also known as the stomach flu, from combining highly acidic cherries with fresh milk, but also caused by contaminated food or water. Some people think it was food poisoning. Some think it was typhoid fever. Clara Rising strongly believed Taylor was poisoned with arsenic as all of his symptoms aligned and he was expected to veto several several bills. The Civil War was looming and he was against the expansion of slavery and of secession. People wanted him dead. Arsenic can stay in the body for centuries, and in order to prove that he was poisoned, Clara Rising needed his hair to test it. She found two locks of it, one at the the Smithsonian 
and one in New Orleans. But one had been compromised by pesticides and the other turned out to have belonged to Andrew Jackson. So Rising gets into contact with a relative who wanted to know Taylor's cause of death too, and she got permission for his body to be exhumed. So, though, quote, though the symptoms which he exhibited and the rapidity of his death are clearly consistent with acute arsenic poisoning, it is my opinion that Zachary Taylor died as a result of one of a myriad of natural diseases which would have produced the symptoms of gastroenteritis. Final opinion, the manner of death is natural. And that comes from the scientist who did the testing on Zachary Taylor's exhumed body. His body did yield trace amounts of arsenic, but in order to prove that there was actually foul play, these levels needed to be much higher. Admittedly, it could have been a different type of poison, but it's just hard to test for poisons since it's been 140 years. The inscription on Taylor's tomb reads, died in office. So, just for some extra history at the end of this, Fillmore, Miller Fillmore, supported the Compromise of 1850, the mandated the return of escaped slaves, no matter where they were found in the nation, which was created by senators such as Daniel Webster and Henry Clay, which kind of canceled out the impact of Taylor's short presidency. So, there you have it. A body of a president that was exhumed 140 years after his death because it was believed that he was poisoned by arsenic. So, now we come to probably the most famous of them all, Abraham Lincoln. Lincoln was from Illinois. He was a senator and then president. He's known for his Gettysburg Address calling for abolition of slavery. So, enter in John Wilkes Booth, a famous actor and a Confederate sympathizer. Wilkes Booth originally planned to kidnap the president and take him to Richmond. This was supposed to happen on March 20th, 1865, but Lincoln never showed up to where Booth and his six conspirators lay in wait. So, Booth devises a new plan. He thinks that killing Booth, that killing Lincoln would help the South, which just surrendered to federal forces. So Booth plans to simultaneously assassinate Lincoln, Vice President Andrew Johnson, and Secretary of State William H. Seward. Five days after Robert E. Lee, the Confederate general, surrendered at the Appomattox Courthouse in Virginia, which ended the Civil War. We are at the Ford Theater on April 14th, 
1865. Specifically, in the presidential box. Lincoln was sitting there with his wife, Mary Todd Lincoln, Army officer Henry Rathbone and his fiancée, Clara Harris, who was also the daughter of a New York senator named Ira Harris. John Wilkes Booth enters the presidential box at 10.15 p.m. with a 44 caliber single-shot Derringer pistol. He shoots Lincoln in the head, and Army officer Rathbone rushes at Booth, who in turn stabs him in the shoulder. Booth then leaps onto the stage from the presidential box. And if you've ever been to the Ford Theater, you know that the, the box is up to stage left. Or if you're facing the stage, it's up on the right. And it's above the stage. I wouldn't want to jump onto the stage, but I guess this is what you do when you're trying to get away with murder. So Booth leaps onto the stage, breaking his leg yells Six Semper Tyrannis, which means thus ever to tyrants, the Virginia state motto. He escapes through the back door and out of Washington on horseback. But we'll get back to him later. The crowd thought this was all part of the production. Not very many of them recognized Booth, but Booth was an actor and he was honestly pretty well known at the time so even if they did recognize him they might have not thought that it was anything out of the ordinary so they assume it's part of the show and then they hear a scream from mary todd lincoln a 23 year old doctor in the audience named charles leal goes to examine lincoln and they carry him across the street to peterson's boarding house and he died early the next morning at 7.22 a.m. on April 15, 1865, at the age of 56. Surgeons doing the autopsy cut a lock of his hair for Mary Todd Lincoln at her request. And the Army surgeon present at the autopsy said the bullet was, quote, the cause of such mighty changes in the world's history as we may perhaps never realize so back to booth who escaped along with his conspirators at first there was a wanted poster for booth union soldiers were hot on his trail and they eventually found him hiding out in a house along with one of his accomplices he ends up getting shot in the neck and carried out of the house alive he dies three hours later with his last words, quote, useless, useless. All right. Number four, after this will be halfway done and the other half will be presented in part two of this episode, episodes of History Overlooked. So, fourth president. James Garfield. He was born on November 19, 1831 in Ohio. He was a lifelong abolitionist who enlisted in the Union Army and became a captain. He was elected to Congress in 1863 and helped win passage of the 14th and 15th Amendments 
guaranteeing equal rights for freed slaves. He kind of accidentally became president after attending the Republican National Convention to support a John Sherman. But the convention stalemated and delegates offered Garfield as an alternative. So he's elected in 1880 at the age of 49 and becomes the 20th president of the United States. He's considered the most promising president of his era. Four months later, on a July morning, he's spending breakfast with his two teenage sons singing songs by Gilbert and Sullivan and visits his younger two sons sons in their room doing handstands for them and throwing them in the air. A couple hours later, on his way to summer vacation, Garfield's walking through the Baltimore and Potomac train station, arm-in-arm with his friend James G. Blaine, Secretary of State. Lawyer and writer named Charles Guiteau had been stalking Garfield for weeks. And at this moment, when Garfield and Blaine are walking arm-in-arm, Guiteau is there. And he is two steps behind the two Jameses and shoots Garfield twice. The first bullet grazes Garfield's arm and the second passed the lumbar vertebra of his spine and lodged in his abdomen. I am a stalwart and Arthur is now president, Guito says, referring to Vice President Chester Arthur. Garfield, upon being shot, falls, unable to stand, but fully conscious, and cries, My God, what is this? Washington doctors rush to Garfield, including one one doctor named Willard Bliss, who became Garfield's chief physician. The doctors stuck their unwashed hands into Garfield's wound, and began fishing around to find the bullet, all without ether ether as an anesthetic. This was a common practice for gunshot wounds. They believed leaving the buckshot in a body led to problems such as poisoning, nerve damage, and organ damage. They did the same thing with Lincoln. Garfield is taken back to the White House, complaining of numbness in his legs and his feet. Doctors argued over whether it was damage to the spinal cord or to one of the organs in his abdomen. Bliss got Alexander Graham Bell to use his newly invented medical detector to find the bullet. Garfield survived through the month, suffering from a high fever, chills, and confusion that just kept getting worse. He was six feet tall and went from 210 pounds to 130 pounds. The doctors kept trying to probe and use surgery, eventually widening the three-inch deep wound into a 20-inch long incision. That's over a foot and a half. Garfield was laying there with an incision longer than a foot and a half from his ribs to his groin. It became super infected and pus-ridden, and he was likely to have sepsis, which stems from the Greek verb to rot. 
His organs just simply quit working. People in the United States during this time were receiving medical bulletins on his conditions. On September 6th, Garfield was transferred to his seashore cottage in Long Branch, New Jersey. And on September 19th, 1881, 79 days after being shot, he laid there for 79 days. Garfield dies while clutching his chest and shouting, This pain, this pain. The official causes of death are fatal heart attack, rupture of splenic artery resulting in a massive hemorrhage, and septic blood poisoning. Over 100,000 people came to see Garfield's body, and another 150,000 attended his funeral in Ohio. Guiteau became one of the first high-profile cases to plead not guilty by reason of insanity, but was found guilty of murder and sentenced to death. He claimed, quote, The doctors killed Garfield. I just shot him. Which might be somewhat true, but doctors looking at the events today say that it wasn't just the doctors and the sepsis. It was the technology of the time. Yes, Garfield could have survived, but he would have needed modern technology. So, there you go. A really gory story. Halfway through the eight presidents. And, as always... Well, first, look forward Look forward to part two. There are some good stories in that as well. JFK, Roosevelt. A really cool fun fact that I still just think is fascinating that you'll have to listen to find out about. But, as always, remember what Harry Truman says. There is nothing new in the world except the history you do not know. Thank you.